right, we continue on in our series called Jesus Is, walking through the book of Hebrews, and we've got 10 chapters down. We're starting in Hebrews 11 tonight. We're just going to hit three verses. This chapter is a long chapter, and it's all about faith. It's all about faith, so we're going to actually have kind of a mini-series within a series uh, here in Hebrews chapter 11. The first three verses set up all the others, so they're important for us to not just fly through them, but to slow down. Uh, It makes sense because not only uh, is it going to set up the rest of chapter 11, but the faith, although it's common to talk about, um, is pretty important to why we're here. And so I know it seems like uh, we can assume we're all on the same page with this whole faith thing, but I hope tonight changes your understanding. As we walk through these verses, one through three, you're going to see three different aspects of faith. Verse one is going to give us two different Uh, parts of the nature of faith. So what is faith? It's a famous verse many of you are going to be familiar with, but we're going to break it down. The second verse uh, tells us about the honor that comes with having faith. How does God see us with faith? And then the third verse will show us what the viewpoint or the perspective of someone with faith is. And so we're going to rock and roll through it, but I think it's important as we jump in and talk about faith to understand what faith is not. You see, faith is not just blind optimism. Many, many see it that way. It's not just a hope-so kind of feeling. Faith is not, uh, on the flip side, an assent, an intellectual assent uh, of doctrine. Um, so we can knock the extremes out. Um, faith isn't believing something even when there's evidence to the contrary. But we're going to see that faith is evidence uh, here in a bit. Biblical faith, on the other hand, is confident obedience to God's word, to the gospel, in spite of circumstances or consequences. Biblical faith is confident obedience to God's word, to the gospel, despite whatever circumstances are happening, and whatever consequences may come. So it it doesn't change, even when things around us change. So the context of of the book of Hebrews, for the last 10 chapters, to get you caught up in a whirlwind, essentially all these amazing, amazing implications of the gospel. So we're talking these huge theological truths of Jesus as the perfect holy high priest. And, uh, and so knowing that he in his life was perfect and is perfect and has been perfect even when you and I are not as we never have been. But we gain, through, we gain perfection through him uh, by his perfect life and sacrificial death. He calls us righteous. And then, of course, the sacrificial death, we could walk through and we have the implications of that, that it was done once and for all for who of us would believe. And it changes everything as he died in our place. And then the life-giving resurrection that when you and I could not do anything to restore life to these dry bones that he lives, that he offers that new life to all of us, uh, that new covenant of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And that he intercedes for us, and that he's coming back. And we have obviously talked a lot about all of those things in the last 
10 chapters. But then at the end of chapter 10, the Hebrew people who are struggling, who the author's writing to, they are reminded that at one time, like they were so on fire for God, they were so on fire, like they're questioning now that whether they should keep having faith in Jesus or they should go back to the old way of doing things and just be under the sacrificial system. But the author's saying there was a time where you were persecuted because you believed in Jesus. There was a time where you held hands with those who were, when, when your property was plundered, when you were beat, when you were brought out into public and accused, and you were just tore up for the gospel. Like, do you remember those days? You see, that's what all of this is supposed to lead us up to, is that you and I, as we take in all of this amazing information, that we would have a faith so radical that it would not only shape and change our lives, but that it would rock the world. So everything's leading up to this. See, there's a huge difference between just believing and actually having faith. I remember when Tara and I were called here to Salina and we helped to start in some small way uh, this congregation and God was doing amazing things and it was a pleasure to serve him. But I, I remember as we were here for a couple years, God starting to lay it on our hearts that maybe we weren't going to be around here forever. We thought we were going to be here for like 10, 15, 20 years. Don't make plans for yourselves. Um, and, and so we were coming to that realization that we were not going to be here for that much longer. But we then, you know, God having placed on our, on our hearts that we were maybe going to move to Virginia to go to school, we then started to scheme in our own minds. Oh, well, we'll do it in a year. You see, Tara has a contract at the hospital. If she breaks it within three years, like she's not going to get some of her student loans paid off. We're going to have to pay back all the money they did pay. We're going to be in trouble. The housing market hadn't bounced back from when we bought our house in 2008. So a year later, man, if we could just wait, save up some money and sell our house then, that might be better. Like there was a million reasons and excuses for staying here, excuse me, staying here for another year. And so I remember one night when we were laying in bed and we were praying and, and we were just praying before uh, we fell asleep like we usually do and we were talking about moving to Virginia uh, to continue our education. And I remember, as I've told the story many times, that um, Tara, as, as she was praying, was talking to God about, God, if there's anything, like if we, have, if we have unhealthy motivations for going or if there's something holding us back, if it's the financial part, if it's our, our desire for comfort and security, God, please tell us. Help us to go out whenever you want us to go. And after she got done praying, I said, is there anything that God's telling you right now? And she said, yeah, that he might want us to go right now, like here, like this next couple months. Made no sense to us. Um, you see, but we believed that God spoke, that he had a plan, that he had a will. But it wasn't faith yet until the next morning when we got to decide, are we really, after what happened last night? I mean, if, you ju if you're just praying, it's not like we heard an audible voice. But if you're just praying and you get that sense, like, did he just tell us that we're going to move out in a couple months? Is that enough to make you announce it to your family and friends the next morning? We believed it, but it became faith and not just belief when we told our friends, when we started to sell our possessions, when we said, hey, hospital, here's a big check for everything you gave us for our student loans, and, and we put our house on the market, and it started to cost us something. You see, there's not going to be a radical faith that does not cost you something. So if you're caught in the tension of believing, I want a radical faith because it's awesome, and I love this Christian thing, and Jesus is cool, uh, but I don't really want the pain of giving things up, then you're not going to have a radical faith, and you're not going to experience any of this. 
huge difference between just having belief and having faith. So I hope God does something in you tonight because we're not here just to believe the message of the gospel. We're here to take steps of obedience that change everything. Make sense? It's going to be good. All right. We're going to really slow it down here. Hebrews 11, starting verse 1. We're just going to cover the first half. So we're talking about the nature of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1a. The author says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So the first thing we see is that faith knows what it believes. It knows what it believes. You see, this is really hard whether you have uh, the ESV translation, NIV, whatever you have. Maybe if you have King James, you see instead of assurance, it it says substance. The Greek word there for assurance is really kind of hard to translate into English. That's why there's several words there. But essentially what it means is to be able to stand on or to stand under something for support. It's a basis for trust and reliance. So what he's saying is uh, faith is being sure of what you hope for. Like like if you're standing under it, you're sure this ain't going to collapse on you. If you're standing on it, you're sure you ain't going to fall through it. If you're leaning against it, you're sure it ain't going to fall over. Like it's, it's sure about something. So if anyone ever tells you, hey, you know what? Um, I think my, my faith is just, it's just foundational to my entire life. Well, theologically, it's actually correct. Now, whether it actually is for them, who knows. But, like, if they say that foundation, like, faith is foundational to everything, it's, it's true. That's why Jesus tells us when we're going to build our house, he doesn't tell us, I want you to decorate the house like this, and it's going to look really cool. And if you see the transition between the living room and the kitchen, you're going to think it's amazing. No, he says, here, let me tell you about houses. If you want to build a house, build it on the rock. Don't build it on the sand because it's going to shift. He focuses on the foundation. He focuses on what holds everything else up. Because if you've got an unsure foundation, the whole house is going to be wobbly. And it gets really annoying <laughs> what once seemed like the end goal, which is the finished house. It gets really annoying when that thing starts wobbling, knowing that you've got to go back to the beginning and the foundation if you want anything up here to start changing. I think you and I are confronted with that all the time as we struggle sometimes in our faith and how it looks lived out in the city and at work and at home and all the different things we have. And we're thinking, oh, is this, is this what the Christian life was supposed to be about? Like, I'm, I'm struggling, God. And I think he's constantly poking us and saying, like, but what do you really believe? Like, what do you really have your, your faith in? And we're like, oh, God, I accepted you with the whole gospel message thing back when I was 12. It's not like I didn't get the message. It's like, but do you, do you even focus on the foundation? Like, do you know that, like, everything built up out of this foundation, everything rises and falls with how solid this foundation is? I, I remember when we moved into our house here just um, eight, nine months ago, uh, one thing that I asked, <laughs> because I bought a house before, is tell me about the foundation. Like, I don't want no cracks. I don't want no issues with it. And, and it's built in the 60s, and they told us, the realtor said, well, there's, there's dead men that have been put in it. 
Now, if you haven't bought a house, you, you're thinking, dead men, what in the world? Uh, you're lucky. I was going to do an illustration of dead men and faith and Jesus, but I'm not going to do that one. But there, there was dead men. Basically, there's these big beams that are for uh, cinder block and concrete basements where they start to come in and shift a little bit. You've got to dig out, and you've got to put these things in there so that they don't move, and you can tighten them and whatnot. But they are a huge deal. It's expensive, and it's a ton of work. People don't think about them when they first build the foundation, only when it starts to crack. All of a sudden, you've got to do a lot of work to get it straight. <laughs> and it, it leaves uh, some trauma on your brain. I remember Tara telling me, she's told me several times, that when she was a little girl, and they lived over on Kerwin Street, and they owned a house, and she remembers her dad digging out by the house a ridiculously big hole because they had foundation issues, and he had to install this dead man, this big old strong beam. He had to do that himself. And uh, I like to poke at my father-in-law just for fun, but um, the other day we were talking, and, and we were talking about foundations in, in the house that they built. They, so they built a new one maybe 15-plus years ago um, on the other side of Salina, and he was telling me, like even now 15 years later, he was telling me, he said, listen, I remember when we built this thing. There's a moth flying all over my face. Now all of you are like, I don't even know what he's talking about anymore. I just see the moth. Um, when... When, when we built that thing, he said, I bought double the rebar, and I came and checked on them when they were pouring the foundation, and it was just sitting over there. He was telling me this just a couple days ago, and he said, they were like, yeah, you, you ordered twice as much rebar as you needed. And he said, no, I ordered it because I want twice as much rebar in this foundation for this new house. Like, you don't need it because I want it in there. And he said he forced him. He made him put it all in there because he said, no matter what happens, I do not want to ever have to go back and mess with that foundation. And then there was, uh, Tara's aunt was sitting next to him, and she was like, yeah, you know what, our house in Kansas City, I'll tell you what, we had some flooding issues back in the day. Um, and, and so when we had this house built, I remember we did this with the foundation, and the whole world could collapse, but we're not going to have foundation issues. And talking about how they built that up, and I just looked at him, I said, man, you all are scarred. <laughs> You're scarred. Like, you, you, you really went to lengths. Because people who have walked through life a little bit know you don't mess with foundations unless you want the whole house to be jacked up. And I gotta believe, for some of us, the whole house is jacked up because our foundation has got some cracks in it. You see, what's tempting for you and I is as we walk through faith and we know we're saved by faith, it's to say, you know what, I really, I care about what the house looks like at the end, and, and so we, we don't wanna go back and mess with foundational issues. But this is why we're always preaching the gospel message and reminding ourselves of what we actually believe. Because believe it or not, it affects everything that's happening every day for you. Like there's not a time where you move on from the gospel and it's like, well, that was a good message. And now there's another message that will help me through my day here. No, it's understanding how that foundational truth actually applies in everyday stuff of life. It changes things. So how can we sit around and talk about Christian living as if somehow it's separated from the gospel and the foundational message we believe? People get annoyed. We just preach the same message all the time. It's not only the foundation, it's the whole house. It's the whole nine yards. The other part of that verse is that it says that things hoped for. So you can hope in things that have already happened, but we didn't see them. And you can hope for future things. And so to hope means to have confidence in. 
So the first part of faith is that we have assurance, that we, that we are solid, that we are sure of what we know. And we got confidence in it. Let me, let me ask you this. As, I'm, I'm going to assume, maybe I shouldn't, I'm going to assume most of y'all are believers. If I asked you just one-on-one, what is your hope really in? Like this whole gospel thing, what's your, what's your hope really in? Could you pinpoint it? Like what, what would you say? Really, I mean, what, what would you say? Well, I mean, it's in Jesus and, uh, I mean, okay, his life, his death, his resurrection. But now granted, we have a lot of hope and a lot of different implications and aspects of the gospel. But if we don't even know, like, if we don't know, we can say all day long, I have faith, and I believe the message, but, like, if we really can't answer that question, there's no, <laughs> there's no reason in, in questioning why things in our lives are falling apart. It's because we don't even really know what we have faith in. So how can we expect that faith to be lived out? You say, well, Pastor Ryan, I'm just, I'm not really the kind of person that has a lot of faith. No, we all have faith. <laughs> we all have faith. It's just what you put your faith in. It's like saying, well, I mean, I like Jesus and this whole Christianity thing, but I, I'm just I'm not much of a maker of disciples. So we all make disciples, which is whether or not you make disciples of Jesus or make disciples of yourself or the world. or whatever. Like, we're all doing it. We all have faith. Just whether it's in the right thing. And so sometimes when we go through hard circumstances, I love it because um, for most of us, unfortunately, it feels like we're breaking and we're going through something hard and difficult. And we're like, God, my, my faith is failing me somehow. And God's saying most of the time, no, you're just finding out you're exposed as to what your faith was really in. Your faith was really in the, the hope that this new job was going to really change things for you. And now you're realizing it wasn't the job that was the problem. Your hope was really in that if, you, if your marriage it was struggling a little bit, but now just have a baby, things will change. No, things just got worse, actually. That if you just got through the degree, then all of a sudden things would change. Like, our hope is in, <laughs> it's in new starts. Our hope is in new opportunities. Our hope is in new relationships. Our hope is in changed relationships. Our hope is in... All kinds of things. You think about the last time you went to someone for advice. And you, you share, you're like, okay, I'm struggling and here's all that's happening. And they're like, okay, I'm, I'm listening and here's some advice. How did you end that? You probably ended it with something like, you know, we're just going to hope that, um, that things change. We're just going to hope that, um, you know, I get the job or that God makes it clear. Uh, we're just going to hope that, and then you just revealed your idol. You just revealed your idol, and yet you thought that was a pretty solid end to a nice Christian conversation. And Jesus is saying, if you left that thing without saying, <laughs> I'm going to trust that Jesus is Jesus, and I'm going to trust that the gospel is enough, I'm going to trust everything else works out the way God wants it to. I'm going to keep walking by faith. Then you probably just revealed an idol. And it doesn't feel good. So what are you putting your foot, what are you putting your faith in today? What's, what's God revealing to you right now that like, my faith really isn't in Jesus? 
confidence and a fresh start, a new relationship, just getting through the semester. So number one, you got to actually know what you believe about Jesus. And the second part of that verse is that hope, that this thing we hope for, the assurance, then that faith is also the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. So some of your translations might have evidence instead of conviction. Again, this is the only place that Greek word shows up in the New Testament, and it's hard to translate. But the second thing we see is that faith actually sees the evidence. Faith actually sees the evidence. So you've got to know what you believe, but then you, there's got to be some evidence that that's actually true. So faith is our way of telling the world, okay, I see the word of God, and I see what God says about himself and all that he's done and things that happened way back when, and okay, um, and then I see the world, and I see what the world has to offer, and I see what my heart wants and even some of the nasty desires. Um, Faith is my way of saying I believe there's more evidence that this is true, regardless of what's happening here, that this is true and this is better than this. Not that I'm just going to be optimistic, but that I, I believe there's more evidence that this is better. You see, some who are just skeptical of Christians or, or any faith naturally think often that, that faith in and of itself is weak. Because what people will think about faith is that, okay, here's objective truth, meaning it's not going to change. So like this, there's just objective truth in the world. I know that's not popular in 2015. We want things to change as we want them to change. Objective truth is not changing. And and so then those who are skeptical of faith, they see, okay, there's evidence. There's evidence up to here that this truth might be actually true. Now, the in-between area, that's, that's what Christians do. They have faith. Faith fills in the gaps between evidence and the actual truth. And so they think naturally that faith is a weak thing. But there's a worldly faith and there's a godly faith because it matters what your faith is actually in. And, and so let me, let me illustrate this because our faith is actually completely opposite in the sense that it's actually because of the evidence that we believe. Um, okay, so let's, let's, let's go back to last week. Uh, about this time, I don't know where the Royals were. They were in... Game two, three, somewhere around there. Yep, some of you you know too well because you skipped to go watch, and that's probably what's going on. So the, the Royals were, were there, and everybody, except for James Ward and Malik, who wore a New York shirt tonight, everybody was hoping that, that the, the Royals were going to win this thing, right? Now, in our hearts, we all hoped for it, And if someone asked you, like, do you have faith that the Royals are going to win the World Series? What would would have most of us said? Yeah. Yeah. Why? We would have said, well, they're up like three games to one. At some point, we could have said that. They're up three games to one. Well, did you see how close they got last year? Do you see the heart and the grit they're playing with this year? That's why we have faith. And they would list off all of that evidence. But you want to know what? None of that, none of that is actual evidence. Because there's only one World Series in 2015, and it doesn't matter what happened with last year's team. 
And you could say there's lots of good teams. Some good teams didn't even make it to the World Series. Most of them obviously didn't. So you could, you could say, well, there's all this evidence. There is no evidence until the end of inning 11 in game five. Nothing that is like pure just evidence that like we knew that was going to happen. There's lots of signs pointing. But really, it was a worldly optimism we would have had to have to say they're going to win it. Up until the end, because their track record was that they had never, ever, ever won the World Series in 2015. Until they actually won the World Series in 2015. But with God, it's the complete opposite. That our faith is actually knowing that his entire track record is that he's always been faithful. That he's never, ever, under any opportunity, let down his people. That he's never, well, he was good, and then he was kind of bad for a little bit, and now he's good again. Never. That he's never changed. It doesn't matter if it's 2014 or 2015. Like, our faith is built on an evidence that God's track record is exactly where it should be pointing to him being faithful again. Like, there's not one bit of his track record that is evidence to the contrary. So skeptics can say, well, faith by nature is weak. For Christians, faith is simply saying, I can't deny he's done all of this. There's nothing pointing to him ever doing anything contrary to his word. Changes things. How does that affect your current circumstances? Because what happens is when we know we have an invisible God, even with a perfect track record, is the tangible things in front of our faces, our circumstances, and the consequences pull us in a direction of putting our faith in those things. Even though those things have a track record of only failing us, they somehow gather our attention in the moment of faith. This is why every time the Israelites are struggling, what happens? God sends them a prophet. God sends them people who do what? Say, hey, let's talk about the future. It's just going to be so exciting to be an Israelite. Have you heard about the second temple? It's going to be built soon. Oh, it's awesome. Like, you don't hear much about that. You hear men stand before the people and say, let me tell you objective truth. I'm going to tell you about the creation of the world. I'm going to tell you about God's plan. I'm going to tell you what God did with Abraham. I'm going to tell you what God did with, and they... Then you have six chapters of like, why are we repeating the same stuff over and over and over and over? Because he just reminded them over and over of his track record. And this is why you have faith. is because you can expect nothing else but faithfulness from God. It doesn't seem like the wimpy faith that many unbelievers think Christians have. But yet I know if you're anything like me, you still come here and you hear about faith and you think to yourself, but I just have, I have a lack of faith sometimes and, and it gets revealed on a regular basis and it stinks. Here's the beauty of the gospel is that sometimes the times, like when times are good, I hope your, your, your faith grows because you see, well, you know what? Times are good and God's track record is that he's amazing all the time. But even <laughs> even in the hard stuff, 
the beauty of the gospel is he gives us a new kind of evidence in that he gives us the opposite side of the picture. You know, when you get in that relationship that you know you probably shouldn't have been in, and then it starts to crumble, and you start to get sick inside, and you know what God's telling you, that you shouldn't have been in this, and you need to now get out of this. You, you know the evidence of his faithfulness. Now you're seeing the evidence of the world's lame attempt at being faithful and how much it fell short. You see, this is why you and I, so oftentimes when we, when we sin and we feel conviction, and then we think, okay, after conviction comes repentance, we view, we view conviction as, well, that's God's way of, uh, of kind of poking you and telling you that you're not on track. You should get on track. And so then what do we naturally do? We look at repentance and say, well, repentance is us turning, both physically, metaphorically, it's turning from our sin and getting back on track. But biblically, we know that repentance is not just the physical, it's not just turning from sin and following Jesus. Repentance is, biblically, it is a change of mind. So if that's what repentance is, conviction should probably look a little bit different because here's what conviction is. Conviction is God saying, now you see even more evidence that the world is gone astray and that I have a plan, that I am good, that I don't let you down. And so repentance being a change of mind then is you saying, you know what, I got myself into this. Something happened here. I obviously went astray. I had my faith in a new relationship. I had my faith in a new job. I had my faith, and I'm seeing it's letting me down now. And conviction isn't just God saying, you stink, come back. Conviction is, do you see all the more evidence? And so repentance is changing our faith, and I'm not going to have my faith in here anymore. I'm going to go back and put it in the, the one who deserves it. It's a change of mind. You see, we talk about sin all the time, and sin often, for most of us, comes back to just a behavioral issue, but we know it's a heart issue. Sin always comes back to unbelief, which we all struggle with, or simply believing the wrong things. Like, do we really believe, let's, let's, let's follow through some of those examples I gave. Like, <laughs> repentance is understanding Jesus is better than my next boyfriend or girlfriend. Without even knowing who that might be, my mind is changing right now to understand no matter who it is, he is better. No matter what job I work in the next year or for the rest of my life, no matter how awesome the career is, no matter how much money, no matter where I move, Kansas is lame, I want to go somewhere cool and fun, no matter what, Jesus is better. Like this is repentance. This is the beautiful part of repentance. And conviction is there's every day more and more evidence in your life showing you. Let me ask you this. Right now for you, as we wrap up the nature of faith, what evidence is God showing you that the path you were headed down in any area of life was wrong? Think back. Maybe you feel it right now, the frustration, the confusion, the gut ache when you realized, hey, you know what, I put my hope in that person, and I loved them, and we fell in love, and it was amazing, and now I'm seeing that they stink, they don't take out the trash, and they're not perfect. 
Like think, think about all of these feelings. You're like, this doesn't gel with what I thought God's plan was. A lot of times that's God saying, this is more evidence that you shouldn't have been in that. So let's go. Let's move. But he doesn't want you to just move. He wants your mind to change so that you don't continue to look at the world as if they got something better to offer than him. So faith knows what it believes, and faith is faith because it sees the evidence. All right, this, this second verse, we're not going to spend much time on it because the whole rest of the chapter is about it, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2 says, For by it, so faith, for by it the people of old received their commendation. So here, here's the honor of faith. This is how God views you because of faith. So he's saying, uh, <laughs> I'm going to do what all the prophets did. I'm about to rifle off a whole bunch of people. He's going to start in verse 4, going back to, uh, you know, to Abel and then Enoch and all these guys that he's going to deliberately say, like, they were righteous in the sight of God. Why? Because they tried hard? Nope. Why? Because they were just cool? Nope. Why? Because God chose them? Nope. Why? Because they had faith. They, they trusted, and it moved them to action. And God says, you're righteous because of that. Commendation can be translated and just simply means approval. So the people of old, and we're like, well, aren't we talking about the Old Testament? Didn't those guys get approval because they went through the sacrificial system and all that stuff? From day one, it was about faith. Even through the old covenant, sacrificial system. It wasn't like God said, hey, I want you to go sacrifice a bunch of animals, but you don't have to have faith. It was always about faith. Remember, the father of the old covenant, Abraham, what happened? Who was, who, what did God say in Genesis about how he was righteous? By faith, long before he had land, descendants, all that stuff. He had faith that what God said is true and it made the old boy walk. It made him walk. So you might say, well, that can't be the only thing that makes God happy or make God love us or make God approve of us. We're going to see in verse 6 here that we, we can't please God without faith. But And when we see all of Scripture in context, um, you could do a whole bunch of stuff that displeases him. You could do a whole bunch of stuff that pleases him. But there's nothing that you, as a believer, there's nothing you can ever do to get God's favor, to, to have God's approval, to have him look at you any more or any less, to, to have God say, you know what, this is how I feel about you. There's nothing you can do to change that outside of simply saying, you know what, I trust you. I see your words, and I see who you say I am, and I see what you have done for me on the cross, and I, like, I, just, I trust, and I'm going to walk like I trust. And God says, oh, man, you're going to get the same report card every day for eternity based on one thing, faith. So you might argue, well, so does this mean I got a whole bunch of pressure? This is a bait and switch, isn't it? You said that we don't have to work our way to heaven. We just have to have faith. But really, isn't faith a whole bunch more hard work? Who gives faith? This isn't something you got to conjure up in your heart. If you can conjure up faith in your heart, you can conjure up a dead man going into being a new man. 
But you can't. You can't conjure any of that up. God's got to give it to you. Romans 12 says that he gives to the measure he decides faith. So this is what we love to do for Christians because we're like, okay, guys, you, can, you just got to have faith. And so it's like, you don't have to be guilty and burdened, but I'm gonna, now this is the end of the sermon. I'm going to have you apply some things. Just, just have more faith. And then we all leave feeling guilty and nasty like we did when we came in living under the law. No, like there's a freedom in this. There's a freedom in it. You can have peace knowing you don't have to worry tonight about where you are in spiritual maturity. Well, okay, Ryan, I get the faith thing, but I just feel like God's got to be really, really disappointed with me tonight because I've been a believer for a long time, and I've been coming to church, but I haven't come to church as much as I used to, and I'm just struggling a little bit. I don't talk to him as much. Like, I, surely that's got to really mess up how God views me. Again, displease and please, that's a fellowship issue. It's not like he's going to kick you out of his presence. You gained access to him through Jesus, and Jesus ain't going to reverse the cross. But favor and approval can't change no matter how much you biffed it today. That should be incredibly freeing. Before Tara and I went out to Utah, we had a full year to pray and plan and prepare, try to gather a team together to go plant this church in Price, Utah. It was exciting, but it was scary. Stood up in front of a thousand young college students at Liberty University and said, who wants to go with us? We're going to the desert. Man, oh, this is amazing. All right, if you want to talk to me after my five minutes, I'll be down here. Come talk to me. It's going to be amazing. Right after the service, come talk to me. Two people came and talked to me. One of them was my buddy. He's like, dude, what are you doing down here? I didn't even know you are doing this. The other one was inspiring stuff, but I'm going overseas. Oh, man, this is discouraging. It's not working out the way I thought. We didn't go out there with the team at all. It was just Tara and I. But then when we got out there, I remember feeling pressure. And most of the pressure was pressure that I put on myself, but just pressure that, like, we had to succeed, right? We're planning a church. What does success look like when you're planting a church? It means we've got to have a bunch of people saved. We've got to grow. And, and I'm working with the denomination. So each month I've got to fill out these reports, see if attendance records and giving and different things go up. And to their credit, it's like, how do you measure this stuff? But it's like, no, God's working. We're like, great, give us evidence. Like, we're not just going to send you money. And so, like, there's always this constant burden that I had. Like, things got to show evidence that I'm successful. There's got to be evidence that I'm successful. I remember as I prayed about this over and over, I remember God in prayer just getting my attention, saying, Ryan, what does it look like for you to be successful in this? And I rifled off all the different things I thought might qualify. He said, did you go when I said go? Yeah. Of course, this is an audible voice. Don't run out of here saying, Pastor Ryan heard an audible voice. He started to affirm in my heart that the second he said, are you going to walk by faith? When Tara and I started to put one foot in front of the other, we were as successful as we could possibly be. You can put up all, all the measurement tools you want to think you're successful as a Christian. Jesus just wants to know, you hear my message, you have faith today. No matter how much you biffed it earlier today, like right now, are you going to put one foot in front of the other and trust in me and believe? 
and follow, knowing you're going to biff it again a little bit later. If you're willing to step off the ledge, you're as successful as you can ever be. And at any given second of any given day, we all get that opportunity. Pressure's off. Last but not least, Verse 3, by faith we understand, and doesn't that just sound weird? We understand by faith? By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. All right, last thing we see here is that faith sees things differently. So we talked about the nature of faith, we talked about the honor of faith, approval from God, but now we're talking about the perspective of faith. Faith sees things differently. Now, this verse is actually a perfect example in my mind of the last part of verse one where it talked about faith being the evidence, the evidence of the things that are unseen. So now what the author's doing, he's starting with creation in verse 3, and as you're going to see starting next week, he walks throughout history. So, so he's just starting from the beginning. But it's, it's an amazing illustration. So you might ask yourself, so what's, what's the actual evidence that you and I can trust that like everything created, this earth, you and I, everything around us, how can we actually trust that everything visible was made by God, simply speaking it into motion? I mean, we weren't there, right? Right. But guess what? Even if we were there, we would have had to have faith. Because if there was invisible, even if you're the first thing that was visible, you still got to trust. If you weren't there in the beginning, and we were not as finite human beings, that something initiated that. So the evidence is that there is something here that has to be accounted for. Like simply just being here, like this has to be accounted for. You can say, well, that thing created that thing and that thing created, but it has to, you have to go back to the beginning and the best the world has to offer is a big bang theory or something like that. But the Bible says in, in Romans 1 chapter 20, or excuse me, Romans 1 verse 20, Paul says, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things he has made. So biblically, they're saying, you know what? Every single thing you see is evidence that somebody had to initiate this whole thing. And for believers, when we see created things, we see the gospel in them. We see Jesus in them. And so it's not just that, that we hear about things, but we read God's word and what it says about relationships and what it says about my nasty heart and their nasty heart, and then we see it lived out and we're like, oh gosh, I think he knew what he was talking about in that. And then we start to see about, man, God, he, he knew how to, to stop the ocean as it came up to the shore and the sunrise and sunset and the, man, all this. And we start to see that sunrise and sunset. And we're just like, how can you not see God in that? Like, do you see God in that? And we see the baby born and we think about heartbeats and the electrical part in the heart. Like something had to start that. Like, I mean, you, you just, it's just mind blowing. And so we see Jesus, we see God in all of it. It's evidence that something had to start this, and the Bible says it's God. John Piper says that, that faith is the spiritual seeing of God's fingerprints on the things that are seen. It's being able to look at everything around here and spiritually be able to see God's fingerprints. 
on all of this. And so then you say, well, you know what? I can look at a sunrise and say, yeah, points to a God. But how come my unbelieving father can look at the same sunrise and it's just a sunrise? How can our unbelieving family and friends look at the same stuff and say, no, I don't think that's evidence that there's a creator. You're just like, what, really? There's two books as a kid. I'm sure you are familiar with both of them. Um, the first one is Where's Waldo? Any of you, you, you do the whole Where's Waldo thing? So you see one little Waldo somewhere in this sea of people, and you'd go from page to page, and it'd just be the same thing, looking for Waldo. So picture changes, same old guy wearing the same thing. You're just looking for one person in the midst of all these other people. And here's the thing about oh, Where's Waldo? 99% of us, if we sit there and focus enough, we're going to find Waldo. And many non-believers would say, see, that's what Christians do. They just look at things, and if they, if, they, if they seek hard enough, you're going to be able to find what you want to see, right? You're going to find, okay, this Jesus guy, he's one guy, but he's different than the rest of everyone else. But for the most part, everybody can find Waldo. But then there was another book, a much frustrating book, much more frustrating. A lot of times it was just a, a picture on a wall, and I don't even remember the name of them. It, some of them were called, I think, Color Chaos, but they were 3D images um, of essentially one thing, like a million of them, like right in a row, and it was very blurry, and you had to like look into the picture and if you focused enough, you would be able to see an image. Like you'd go to the doctor's office and they'd have like three paintings. It'd just be like crazy blurry. And you'd just be like, oh, I hate those. And you just stare at them. And you're like, ah, I don't know. What is that supposed to be? And they're like, yeah, that's a monkey standing on my uncle's shulders. And you're like, what? It looks like a cow. I don't get that. Like, and you're just like, no, it is actually a monkey. And you just, you're like, really? That's supposed to actually look like something? And for me, when I would see those pictures and I would look and I would stare and I would stare and it just seemed so blurry, I could never, ever, ever actually see what some people were seeing. I don't know if that was you. Some of you just couldn't. That's why it was much more frustrating. So it seemed like half the people, it was just blurry, but it was still there. The other half, they actually could see it. You see, faith doesn't create anything. It just reveals what's already there. And, and, and so there's a much deeper issue. The issue isn't that if we just focus on things, it's evidence that God is God and there is a God. No, <laughs> there is a spiritual blindness that has to be removed that only God can remove. This is why when Jesus says he's coming so that men can see and that those who are deaf, like they can hear, he wasn't just talking physically. He was talking about our hearts being able to see God through the wickedness. Like this Holy Spirit has to do a regenerative just work on the hearts of people that they don't look at everything as just blurry, but they see what it actually is. got to be revelation from God.
going to wrap this up tonight, but I want to encourage you with this. Verse 2, verse 3, we're going to talk more about this stuff here in the future. You can be frustrated with your faith. You can feel like you have a lack of faith. But you can ask God for more faith. You're going to see more and more evidence for this faith. The more and more you see God revealing it to you. But know this, that your faith is only ever as good as what the object is that you have faith in. And so as your faith in the wrong things is exposed and it's disappointing, be equally affirmed that when your faith in God is exposed, as it will be tested and it will be exposed, that his goodness, that his faithfulness, that it doesn't change and that it is worth putting your faith in. Having faith for believers is a lot more than warm fuzzies. Warm fuzzies don't move mountains. But faith that leads to obedience shakes the planet. Do you just believe the gospel tonight? Or do you actually have faith? going to lead you to action and obedience. That might be the bigger question for us tonight. But make no doubt about it, Jesus is worthy of this faith. I don't know what he's asking you to do tonight, but I know he's always asking us to walk by faith. So there's something for all of us. For some of us, it might be a lot. (laughs) It might be a lot of stuff. But if you walk out of here thinking, yeah, I believe. Remember the end of chapter 10, the righteous live, walk by faith. You don't just have it, you walk by it. So let the adventure begin. Let's pray.